there's this girl I know. And everybody used to like her. Then she posted something stupid online. Now everybody hates her. It's like the whole school just dropped her. I know, because I dropped her too. Kids change their minds so fast, and it scares me sometimes. I mean, what if I get dropped? If I mess up, will you still be there for me? No matter what? Welcome everybody all over our campuses today. I want to welcome those of you watching online uh, as well. More and more of you are watching online, wherever you might be today around the country and world. We're always glad when you can join us. We are in a series called Four Questions Every Kid Needs Answered. And I, I think raising kids is one of the most wonderful things you can do. I also think it's one of the most wearisome, heartbreaking things you can possibly do. Elizabeth Stone, author, said this, Deciding to have kids is to forever have your heart go walking around outside your body and getting it stepped on. Uh, Irma Bombeck once said, When my kids get crazy, I find a safe playpen. When they're finished, I climb out of it just to be safe. And by the way, you don't have to be a parent to make a difference in a child's life. My wife and I needed all kinds of people to help us raise our kids. Grandparents, teachers, friends, neighbors even helped us on occasion. I'm so glad for a church as well who invests so heavily in children uh, in children's ministries and raising kids because all of us should take part. I believe every one of us should take part in having a play, raising kids today. Tough world to raise kids. Tough world to be a person, anybody to be in this world today. So I think all of us should have a hand in raising our younger, younger generations these days. The first two questions in this series, Jason Strand handled, were what are the boundaries? And every child needs to know what the boundaries are. What are my limits? The second question, the second message was, do you love me? Every child wants to know, does my mom, does my dad love me, truly? And Jason Strand, again, answered those two questions past two weekends. If you missed those weekends, get online, check them out. Fantastic messages. But today, the question is, will you be there for me? Every child wants to know, will my parents be there when I need them the most? 25 years ago, I was reading about families. We were starting our own family, and I read a lot about uh, raising children, and Dr. Jim Dobson was really the expert during those days. Read a lot of books by Dobson, and in one of those books, he wrote about a defiant little 10-year-old boy named Robert. Not this Robert, but a different Robert. Again, this was 25, 30 years ago, so this story's been around a while, but it's a true story. He said whenever Robert's mother asked him to do something he didn't want to do, he would defy her in public and threaten to take off all his clothes. He was a holy terror in grocery stores and doctor's offices until one day Robert met his match at a dental office run by an older dentist who reportedly understood children. Robert arrived in the dental office prepared for battle, so when the dentist asked Robert to climb into that chair, Robert said, no chance. Unfazed, the dentist said, son, I asked you to climb onto that chair, and that's what I intend for you to do. Robert stared at his opponent and said, if you make me get on that chair, I'm going to take off all my clothes. The dentist said, go ahead. I don't care. The boy removed his shirt, his undershirt, shoes, and socks, and then looked up at the dentist in defiance. The dentist said, all right, son, now get on that chair. You didn't hear me, Robert said. I said, if you make me get on that chair, I will take off 
all my clothes. <laughs> Dennis said, so take them off. I don't care. Robert proceeded to remove his pants and stood there in his shorts in front of the dentist and his assistant. The dentist said, now get in that chair. Robert did it as he was told and sat calmly through the entire procedure. When the dentist was done, Robert stepped down from the chair and said, now give me back my clothes. The dentist said, no chance. <laughs> he said, tell your mother we're going to keep your clothes tonight. She can come in tomorrow morning and pick them up. Can you imagine the shock on Robert's mother's face when the door to the waiting room swung open and there stood her son wearing nothing but his whitey tighties? <laughs> the room was filled with patients, but Robert and his mom walked past them into the hallway and into the parking lot. The next day, Robert's mother returned to retrieve the boy's clothes and asked to have a word with the dentist. She said, you don't know how much I appreciate what happened here yesterday. Robert's been blackmailing me about his clothes for years, and if I don't do what he wants, he threatens to take off all his clothes. You are the first person to call his bluff, and the impact on Robert has been incredible. Now again, that, that story, that happened 30 years ago. That would never happen today because unfortunately, parents would sue that guy for any number of things. Friends, it used to be that parents appreciated doctors and teachers and coaches and neighbors who would team up to help instruct and discipline their kids. There was a general understanding that if a kid was misbehaving, any number of adults would step in. But today, many kids are permitted to mouth off, act out, engage in all kinds of bad behavior, while adults kind of stay sidelines because either they either don't know what to do or they're afraid to do it. One of the questions I think kids desperately need answered today is, will you be there for me? You know, I don't mean physically necessarily all the time, but will you be there for me to guide me and instruct me and even correct me when I need it? I think Robert's dentist was there for him by correcting poor behavior. Finally, someone did Robert a huge favor that'll help him all the way through life. Now, maybe you don't have a kid who threatens to take off all his or her clothes, but maybe it's a kid who says something like this. If you don't give me what I want, I'm going to throw a, throw a tantrum, or I'm going to make your life miserable, or I'm going to lie to you, or I'm going to act like I don't hear you, or I'm just going to rebel with alcohol and drugs. Nothing new, friends. Kids have been doing stuff like that for decades, but I think something has changed over the past 10, 20, 30 years with regard to how many parents respond to poor behavior in children. According to author Tim Elmore, another uh, family expert, he says this, in 2012, 50% of all job openings, openings available to college graduates went unfilled because employers said that grads didn't have basic communication and leadership skills needed to do the job. You know, some kids today can play a thousand different games on their mobile devices, but they can't carry on a conversation or solve a problem. Why? Because they've never had to all day long. Somebody's talking to them. I mean, it's just, they don't, they don't even engage anymore, a lot of kids. Now, a lot of kids are doing great, but some kids are, it's a real problem. In an article called, Can Millennials Stand a Chance in the Real World? The author who teaches in an affluent Competitive high school on Chicago's North Shore says this, many parents have simply checked out 
These kids act like they're 23 but have the social capabilities of a 12-year-old. Now, to be fair, I actually have great hope for this generation growing up behind us. Many of them are exceptional and I think far surpassed many of their baby boomer parents. I mean, just look at this year's Masters winner. Have to, I have to say this. Jordan Spieth, 21 years old, won the Masters. Now, what makes him exceptional even beyond golf is his work ethic, his heart, and his engagement in special needs kids because he has a sister who's autistic. He's got a faith-based family, and they... they they raise their kids correctly between right and wrong and, and, and holding them accountable. So many 20-somethings are doing great. I know some 20-somethings. I'm just amazed by their talent and their accomplishments. But friends, others aren't faring so well. I know that many of you have had trouble at home with at least one child in the form of addictions, extreme anger, sexual misconduct, and just having no direction in life whatsoever, and how painful that is for you as a parent and you as a family unit. And as parents, sometimes we just go, I don't know what to do. Well, the good news is there's hope, and despite all the pressure and temptations that kids face today, here's what I believe. I believe that parents are still the most important factor in a child's life. Not the television, not internet educators or even their peers. Those things certainly have influence on our kids. But nothing can shape a child's life and point them in the way they should go more than a parent. I know many parents today who've raised their kids to be responsible, respectful, moral, and productive. Because parents are still the biggest predictor of how a kid will turn out. Now having said that, there is no guarantees in parenting. You can be the best parent on planet Earth and still have a kid go sideways. Why? Because kids are sinners. And they're selfish. And so are we parents, by the way. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But, I mean, you can have... I, I've, I've known parents, I've talked to parents, and two of their kids turn out fantastic. They're moral, they're faith-filled, they're productive, they're on the right paths. And then they have a third kid. And that kid just is rebellious from, the day, from day one. Same parents, same upbringing, same everything, different outcomes. So there's no guarantees. But I'll tell you what. Some parents, when they see their kids acting out and they just get tired of it because they're tired themselves, some parents just do this. I just give up. I don't know what to do anymore. And so some parents just toss in the towel. And I'm telling you, that's a big mistake. A big mistake in parenting. Look at the Bible says about this. Proverbs 22. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Isn't that true? I mean, folly, foolishness, sin is bound up in the heart of a child from birth. But discipline, the Bible says, or correction will drive folly out. I'm standing before you as a person who had all kinds of folly that needed to be driven out of me as a kid growing up. Part of my daily recreation as a child was to pick on my sisters until they cried. Every single day I would do this. I would pinch them, I would pull their hair, snap them with rubber bands. I would taunt them verbally, anything to make them scream and cry every single day until I got spanked and sent to my room. It was just a daily routine. If I didn't get spanked and sent to my room, I thought, what's wrong with this day? I mean, every single day this happened. When I got to my room, there wasn't any video games or internet. 
So honestly, this is what I do. We had, I, my, my room is on the top level of our house, a two-story building. I would throw things out the window, and then I'd take my fishing pole and try to hook them and reel them in. I mean, I had nothing else to do. I got disciplined as a child for throwing acorns at other kids, harmless thing, stealing coins from my brother's piggy bank. I would launch lit firecrackers over the neighbor's fence, and I'm telling you, I was a borderline juvenile delinquent growing up. So there's hope for some of you out there. But one of the biggest factors in helping me become a somewhat decent human being was having parents who were there for me, and it showed up in three ways. My parents were there for me by being consistent. No matter how bad it got, they were consistent. There was never a question in our home, this is who the merits are, this is what we value, this is what we believe, this is what we do and don't do. And this was consistent every single day. Number one, the merits were a Christian family who prayed at meals and went to church every single week and it was automatic. It was torture sometimes to have my food sitting in front of me and have my dad pray a one minute prayer, I couldn't wait for the prayer to be done. It was torture sometimes to sit in a church with organ music and a 30-minute message or sermon every, every week. But I'm telling you, something seeped into my soul growing up that has never left me. My parents' faith was not flashy. But I'm telling you, friends, it was real. And they never wavered. Their consistency formed who I am today. I knew the merits didn't lie, steal, cheat, swear, drink, or overspend. And if one of us did one of those things, that would be confronted by my mom or dad. The merits were hardworking. We kids were expected to have some sort of job by age 12 or 13. I was talking to my 27-year-old son about this a while ago. He said, Dad, the thing that helped me most growing up was that you and mom were always consistent. I never had to question your marriage, morality, faith, or work ethic. I knew what our values were. I knew where the boundaries were. And that gave me a sense of security and direction. Most important thing he said was consistency. Uh, many years ago, I read a statement. I've never forgotten this statement. The author was talking about how to stabilize your family in this chaotic society. And the author said, plant a tree in your yard. Watch it grow. And don't move for 10 years. So when my wife and I moved to White Bear, I planted 44 trees in my yard. And um, that was 24 years ago. And I told my wife, I said, we're not moving for at least 10 years. Again, that was 24 years ago. And those same trees are still growing. We're in the same house, have the same doctor, same dentist, same mechanic, we're in the same marriage, have the same family, same church, and on Sunday afternoon, you will find me on the same couch taking a nap on which I've taken a nap every Sunday afternoon for the last 24 years. And you might say, man, is that boring? Exactly. Predictably boring. Consistent. Even our adult kids today find great security in knowing that our home and our values will never change. They'll always be the same. Dr. Phil has written some great books. I don't know what you think about him as a TV guy, but he's written some fantastic books. Look what he says. 
A child who grows up in a chaotic home will not do well in the world. So start today, plant your trees, then don't move, don't bail, don't jump from person to person, job to job, state to state, church to church for at least 10 years to stabilize your life and bring security to your family and home. Now, I understand sometimes you got to move. You got a neighbor that's just, oh man, I got to move. I know. Sometimes you're in a job and you got to bounce from state to state and you're all over the place. If that's the case in your life, I understand that, but then you've got to compensate for that instability in some way, somehow, in a different way. Kids need consistency and stability. How committed are you to your relationships in your family? How committed are you to your faith? How consistent, parents, are you? Number two, train them up. You got to train, be there for them to train them up. And I bring this up because some parents say this. They say, I'm just going to let my child figure life out. Really? I'm just going to let my child discover their own values, discover their own faith. Friends, that's insane. You're a parent for a reason. You have knowledge and experience that your children need. Look at Proverbs 22.6, key verse. Train a child in the way that he or she should go. There's a way that your children should go. And when they are old, because sometimes they fall off the rails for a while. Sometimes there's a gap and they want to rebel and do whatever, you know, whatever. Train a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will re they'll return to it. They won't turn away from their training. Now, the Proverbs are a general statement. It's not always the case. It doesn't automatically always work out this way. But generally speaking, if you train your children in the way they should go, they will return back to that training. If parents don't train their kids in the way they should go, the television and internet will. Their friends at school will. Now folks, training involves instruction. It involves teaching and guiding. There's effort involved in training. One of my favorite authors is Dr. Henry Cloud. And he tells this story. He says, not long ago, my wife was on a trip, and like a good dad, I did my job. The girls and I just trashed the place and had a blast. But my wife was coming back on Sunday night, so I told the girls, by 6 o'clock, your mom's coming home, so I want all your stuff put away in your rooms, and then I'm going to come and do an inspection. He said, they got to work just an hour before she was going to return. I was in my study reading when I heard this wailing, this banging on the walls. So I ran out, and my youngest was lying on the floor at the bottom of the staircase, just bawling. She wasn't hurt, but she had taken her stroller and tried to pile all her junk in it and roll it up backwards up the stairs in one trip, and she lost the grip, and it all came crashing down at the bottom. So I said, Lucy, are you okay? And through sobs and wailing, she said, it's too hard, Dad, it's too hard. She gave me all this drama, says Dr. Cloud. I said, Lucy, you're seven years old. Now, when two-year-olds have a problem, they lie down and scream and carry on, but you're seven. 
So when you decide to be seven again, come talk to me and I'll help you out. Immediately, she jumped up and said, okay, I'm seven now. <laughs> Cloud said, no, that's too fast. I'm going to read a while and you think about this and when you're really ready to be seven, you come get me. So 10 minutes later, Lucy settled down. She came in. I walked into the stairwell with her and she said, Daddy, what should I do? And Cloud said, I don't know. What have you tried? And oh, he knew what she had tried. She said, well, I tried rolling it up in my stroller, but that didn't work. And then Cloud asked a very important question you ought to ask your kids. He said, well, what else could you do? You're not going to take the problem away from the child. You're going to help her solve her own problems. What else could you do? And Cloud says, I made her come up with it because I knew she could. Later, when my wife came home, she praised Lucy for a job well done, and that was empowering to Lucy, and it gave her a sense of accomplishment. What was Cloud doing? He was taking the time and effort to train and teach and instruct so that when Lucy is 25 and struggling with something at work or with her friends, she'll say to herself, yelling and screaming is not going to help. If I act like a two-year-old, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose my friends. So what are some things I can do to solve this problem that my dad taught me way back when, when I was seven years old? Teaching her to take ownership for her own problems. The Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. Question, how much training have you done with your kids? Or is it mainly just reacting and yelling at them? And you got to yell a little bit, I know. Everybody's got to yell a little bit. But folks, training, I'm telling you, takes effort. It takes a certain amount of knowledge. If you're a parent and have not read a parenting book, that's unexcusable. You're not going to know how to parent. You've got to read about this. Read one book a year on parenting. And Ephesians 6.4 tells us what kind of training is most important. Look what it says. Fathers, bring your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What does the Bible say about life? You've got to train them in these things. Kids don't know. Look at Deuteronomy 6 says, repeat God's commands to your kids. Repeat them. Because we all forget what they are. Now, this implies that parents actually know what God's commands are, right? But you got to talk about these things on a daily basis, weekly basis with your kids. What does God want us to do? How does he want us to react to this television program? You know, what, what does God tell us to do about how to live life? Now, why should children learn the things of the Lord and how to be raised with godly principles? Here's the reason. Proverbs 3.1. My son, keep my commands in your heart. For they will do three things for you. They will prolong your life. They will bring you peace. So there's not so much chaos in your life. And they will produce prosperity for you if you live by God's word and God's commands. Who doesn't want those three things? We all do. And your, kill, your children will thank you for it down the road. How do I teach God's commands to my kids? I'm just going to give you six quick hitters here or seven. Get into God's word yourself. You can't teach what you don't know. Ten minutes a day, friends. Every one of us can pick up God's word and read a little bit every day and, and a little bit out of a good book. 
Get, God, get God's word into your own heart so you can teach it. Establish little, rit- little rituals like praying with your kids at night as you tuck them in. Just a sweet little prayer. Okay, three. Put a good Bible verse where you'll continually see it on the refrigerator, on the screensaver, in your car dash. Just a reminder of God's word and God's goodness is so important for us as adults as well. Fourth, lead them to church and let other people instruct them. And that's what you've all done today. You've led, your, you've led yourself to church first. Now you've led your kids if you have them. I visited a couple campuses the past two weeks. And I walked into Elevate, our children's programs. I'm telling you, it's fantastic what these teachers are teaching our kids. And so it's just way to go if your kids are up there. Next one. Challenge your kids to read one chapter of Proverbs every single day. I started reading the Proverbs when I was 10, 11 years old. And I would read a chapter every single day. There's 31. I'd get through it in a month and I'd start all over again. Proverbs taught me how to live life. Challenge your kids. Read it with them. Finally, live by God's commands yourself. Model God's word. Model God's ways. I have a 65-year-old friend. He has several adult sons who he didn't raise well according to God's ways. But he became a Christian, and he's, he's trying to model to his adult sons the way to live according to godly principles. He's praying for their salvation. He's praying for them. And I believe they will come to Christ someday soon. But this man, it's never too late, friends, to jump in and lead the way, even for your adult kids. Live the life that Christ wants you to live, and your kids will notice that. The other day, my 27-year-old son and I were reflecting on his teen years, and David said this to me. He says, Dad, even though you didn't know where I was or what I was doing half the time, he said, you led me to faith in Christ, and that was the most important thing you could have ever done for me. And the subject of one of our neighbors came up with whom we've had little property squabbles over the years. And David and I have hit golf balls off our back hill toward the woods for many years. And one day, about 12 years ago, this has been a while, 12 years ago, my neighbor walked me back to his enormous satellite dish that he had put up between our property lines. And he pointed at all the holes in his satellite dish. And he said to me this. He says, 12 years ago, he told me this. He said, your son has been hitting golf balls into my satellite dish and ruining it. And I honestly thought, there's no way. Dave's not that bad of a shot. So I said, you know, it must be something else or somebody else because I've never seen my son hit a ball over that way. He he said, look at the holes in my dish. And I find balls over here all the time. I said, look, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm absolutely sure it's not my son. He would never shank a golf ball that badly. So the other day I was telling my son about this conversation that I had with my neighbor 12 years ago. And David said, oh, yeah, I used to try to hit it. He said, it was the perfect target for my wedge shots. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, I'd aim for the dish and listen for the ping when it hit. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I said, I swore on a stack of Bibles that it wasn't you to our neighbor. Now I probably have to go apologize to the guy, which I dread. All that to say, folks, that I failed my son miserably in some of these areas. I'm not perfect and neither are you. Maybe my son should go apologize. That's what I should have. Well, him go apologize. But David was brought up 
You can't be there for every golf shot. But David was brought up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I'm so proud of who he is today because of it. Because I'm telling you, if you train your kids in the way they should go, if you remind them what God's word says about life, get into the Proverbs and read it yourself, especially with their faith, if you train them in the way they should go, they will make it. They will make it. And again, it's never too late to start living it yourself and letting those values seep into your kids and your family. Final way to be there for your kids is to stay engaged. This is so, it seems so simple, but it's so important. Stay engaged. In other words, don't give up. James 1, look at this verse. It's so good. Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial. You know what a trial is? It's a test. It's a challenge. It's a hardship. It's something that's not fun. It's oftentimes there's conflict associated with trials and difficulty. That's what a trial is. And I'm telling you, as a parent, you're going to have trials raising kids. It's not easy. It's one of the hardest things you will ever do. And sometimes the only thing you can do as a parent is this. Is just hang in there. Blessed is the person who simply perseveres. There aren't three or four ways to raise a kid. It's just, you got to hang in there. And by the way, this verse is important for anything in life. If I bailed on my job the minute I had a trial 25 years ago, I would have quit a long time ago. Sometimes to be successful, the thing you have to do is simply get through this season of difficulty and challenge. And if your kids are driving you crazy right now, sometimes, parents, all you can do is just hang in there and outlast them. (laughs) There are going to be times, I'm telling you, there are going to be times when you have no idea what to do as a parent. The, the, The book wasn't written for it. There's going to be time when your child is willful, lazy, bad choice of friends. They're on the internet all the time, drives you nuts. You'll be baffled by their mood swings and apparent dishonesty. But friends, what you absolutely cannot do is give up. Sometimes all you can do is stay engaged and ride out the storm until they're 18 and you go, thank God, they're out of here. Um, Mike Donnelly is on our staff. You know him from Mike and Mike. He and his wife, Joy, have two adopted kids, Emma and Louis. Mike says, Emma's a flower garden, sweet and vibrant. He says, Louis never stops, has a thousand things going on at once. In Mike's words, he says, he can be the sweetest kid ever while at the same time be in your face and aggressively anti-everything. I love that phrase. Aggressively (laughs) anti-everything. So Lewis has been a challenge. More than once, Mike has wanted to toss in the towel, but he stays engaged and is paying off. Recently, Mike asked Lewis to help him fix a leaky faucet they had in the kitchen sink, and so they both kind of dove into it, and it wasn't going well. After a couple hours, Mike gave up and just tossed in the towel. But that night, Lewis began mulling this thing over in his mind. 
And he thought of something. And so the next morning, he went out to the garbage and retrieved the old part. And he found the piece that was missing. And Lewis fixed the faucet all by himself, 14 years old. Doesn't leak. It was a father-son effort, but Lewis figured it out. And that's all it took for his confidence to grow. Couple weeks later, Lewis was in the garage looking for something else to fix when he found an old weed whacker. He asked Mike if he could have the weed whacker, so he got on YouTube and searched, what can you make with a weed whacker motor? 14 years old. Found out that you can actually make a motorbike with a weed whacker motor. So we took a little home video. Mike just caught this. I'm going to show it to you real quick. Bike out of a weed whacker motor. All right, let's see. That's amazing. This kid's riding around on a weed whacker bike. Unbelievable. Figured it out all on his own. Friends, I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. What can happen to a kid if you just hang in there and try to build some confidence in his soul? Mike's training, this is, this is wild, Mike is training for a 26-mile marathon to raise money for World Vision, which is totally shocking because Mike hasn't run 10 feet in his life. <laughs> so he wondered if Lewis would help him train because Lewis runs track at school, and he thought this would be a way to engage and stay connected to my son. Mike says this, Lewis was all in, and he now wants to run with me, not because of the cause, but because we do it together. While we run, he says, Lewis tells me stories and explains the mechanics of his motorbike. While we run, I don't listen to music because I listen to Lewis because I'm trying to be there for him. And what's amazing and wonderful is now Lewis is there for me. Parents, I'm telling you, your, your children's best chance and I don't care how old your kids are. They might be 25, 30, 35 years old now. Your children's best chance in this world is if you, as a parent, are consistent in your faith, in your morals, in your relationships, in your work. Your children's best chance. They're always watching you. If you stay consistent, if you train them up in the way they should go, according to God's principles, and if you stay engaged. Now next week, here's the topic. What are the biggest battles my kids are facing? Uh, I am so excited about this message. I hope you're all here. What are the biggest battles your kids face? And how can you as a parent help them win these battles? Every kid must win to succeed in life. So at all campuses, let's stand and come on back next week. Let's stand for closing prayer. Oh, let's pray together. Father, um, man, first of all, thanks that we can call you Father. You're our Heavenly Father. You call us your children. And God, we know that you lavish your love on us. There's nothing you wouldn't do for us. You've been so forgiving for, to us, your kids. You've been so patient 
full of mercy, full of grace. You surround us with your love and goodness every single day. And so, Father, I pray that as we receive your love and your mercy and your kindness, I pray as parents we would allow that same kind of love and mercy and tenderness and patience flow through us to our kids. God, I pray for every young person who's here today. I pray that you will build into them your truth, your love, and your protection. God, I pray for every family here who's hurting over something. I pray that you'll bring healing and give us your wisdom and your direction because we so desperately need that. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving each one of us. And we want to love you back by doing the very best we can in raising our kids. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everybody.